You need more than just technology to make a lasting change in this world. And that's why Neon One offers a nonprofit platform that's designed to grow with you, providing software and resources that help nonprofit professionals make their connections that matter. Connections with their peers, connections with their supporters, and connections with their mission. Learn how Neon One makes it easy to design amazing generosity experiences by visiting neonone.com slash weareforgood. Hey, I'm John. And I'm Becky. And this is the We Are For Good podcast. Nonprofits are faced with more challenges to accomplish their missions and the growing pressure to do more, raise more, and be more for the causes that improve our world. We're here to learn with you from some of the best in the industry, bringing the most innovative ideas, inspirational stories, all to create an impact uprising. So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world. So let's get started. Oh, Becky, we've got a legend in the house. Like literally a legend. I'm bowing down right now to the king of nonprofit podcasting. Oh, my. Seriously, we have the podcasting legend. We have the plan giving legend and just all around good human in the house. We have Tony Martinetti on the podcast today. And you probably know him from his show because he's been podcasting before. Podcasting was cool for over 12 years, more than 600 episodes. Just a legendary person about lifting conversation and making that democratized and accessible to people everywhere and to nonprofits and seeing the small nonprofits across the country. And so he also has this incredible heartbeat for plan giving. And he has been pouring into the space, encouraging us all to look at this to feel comfortable about this because at the end of the day, it does come down to conversations. And so I love that we're going to be led into the ultimate conversation with someone that's so good at talking um, as Tony is himself. But for 22 years, Tony's worked side by side with nonprofits of all sizes to create plan giving programs that help them meet their fundraising goals. And so he actually created this plan giving accelerator. And there's more than a thousand nonprofit, but their vision is to create a thousand plan giving programs across the US through this accelerator program. And for us, you know, it comes up on the podcast because it's definitely a part of our tool belt. But I'll be the first to admit, we don't talk about it enough because this is something that every nonprofit could approach. And so I'm really delighted to have this conversation, hopefully to destigmatize some of the aspects of it, but also just to um, get to hear a little bit about your experience. So Tony, we're delighted to have you in our house. Thanks for coming on the podcast today. It's my pleasure, John. Thank you. Thank you, Becky. You're such an effusive welcome. Thank you so much. Very gracious. Thank you. (laughs) Well, the enthusiasm is real. I mean, I remember running across your podcast when we first ever dreamed of doing this. And I mean, you truly have been setting the bar so high for so long. So thank you for coming in today. I want to give you space to just introduce yourself to our audience. Tell us a little bit about your story, maybe even growing up, of what led you into this incredibly heartwired work um, serving the social impact sector. Uh, It really started with uh, hating practicing law. Uh, I I, I can understand that. I'm so glad I'm a law. Uh, I'm so glad I have a law degree. Uh, that I went to law school. I still encourage people to go to law school. I loved all that. The practice of law uh, did not appeal to me. A uh, very unpleasant way to make a lot of money is is what I thought. So it was just too well. I was going to say too short. Probably two very long years practicing law, and then I reengineered myself into planned giving fundraising. You know, first as a frontline fundraiser at I was at one college, then I moved to a university, both in the New York City area. And then in 2003, I started consulting. So this actually is my 25th year in planned giving. 
my my silver anniversary. I started in 1997. <laughs> well, TSET coming your way. Yes. That mm-hmm. first college, TSET, thank you. <laughs> yes, I started at that college 25 years ago. And uh, and then I, I was a frontline fundraiser at those two places for six years. And then I started consulting in, in 03. I mean, what... Interesting story, as always. It just tells me, Tony, like you're one of us. You've been in the trenches. You've been on the front lines. And I mean, the biggest, most um, looming question that I have is, how did you get this passion for plan giving? Because there's (laughs) not a lot of people in the development space who have a passion for it because there are parts of it that are very complicated. And and I think that scares people off. But as somebody who was a frontline gift officer and was one of those people and was very intimidated because I didn't have the law degree, I didn't have a C- my CPA, but I found that once you were talking about legacy giving, it was the most natural thing in the world to talk to somebody about how do you just leave a legacy? So I'm just curious about that right out of the gate, how you came into this. Well, I love the company of older Americans. Me too. Uh, I'm start. Actually, I'm just getting to get a little, <laughs> my synesthesia is kicking in. I'm getting a little, uh, little weepy just thinking about some of the folks. You know, I, I have regular conversations with a woman who just turned 99. Uh, I got to celebrate her birthday with her. Uh, you know, the but the, she's at the extreme. That's the oldest uh, donor to a to a client you know that I've ever worked with. But I love the company of folks you know like seventy and over. You know, they they have rich stories. Uh, they have a different way of of looking at the U.S., uh, their own lives, the world. You know, obviously not digital natives. Um, they love handwritten notes, um, and they write back handwritten notes, you know, picking up the phone is perfectly natural to them. Uh, and they just have a, a rich history. You know, you think about, I mean, this woman who's 99, um, you know, world war, the, she was a youngster in world war one and she remembers world war two, uh, and you know, everything since then, she was a, uh, she fleed the Nazis. She was uh, she was uh, she's a German Jew. Fleed, she remembers, you know, being twenty or so, roughly, when when her family left. Uh, I might have the age wrong, but when her family left Germany. So just you know, these kinds of stories about the world wars, uh, the Great Depression, something else that folks of, of that era, you know, talk about uh, and remember. You know, the, that was that was monumental. You know, that's like. You know, think about how many 9-11s they've been through. Right. You think about world wars and the Great Depression. You know, we think about the Great Recession. Think about the Great Depression. Yeah. Um, so I just, I love their company. I love the company of older Americans. I used to love the company of my grandparents when all four of them were alive. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I just, I love talking to these folks, you know, and I'm curious about them. And having a healthy curiosity of people, I think that helps in, in any type of fundraising, any type of fundraising. And uh, yeah, Becky, I just want to, I want to reassure you and folks, you know, if you're, if you're intimidated by planned giving, if you think you need a, a, a law degree or a CPA degree uh, or whatever certificate, you know, you're, you're mistaken. You don't, you don't. To, to launch planned giving, anybody, anybody can do it. And I'm sure we'll, we'll get into some of that, but you know, Put, please, you, you don't need a board. You don't need a lawyer on your board, on your staff. Yeah. I'm a lawyer, and I'm the first one, probably the only <laughs> one, to tell you you don't need one. 
He's not even billing us. There aren't too many lawyers. You're such a good lawyer. (laughs) Don't hire a lawyer. You don't. You don't. You don't. Well, it's 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 simple when it's when it's done right. The the Mm. launching launching planned giving. Tony, how could not everybody be leaned in and like want to be part of this conversation? Your passion just comes through the screen today, and I feel really excited to talk about planned giving. I don't know that I could say that at the beginning, but I'm like. It is about value-aligned conversations, and it's about going deep into people's understanding their lives and their perspectives. And so will you kind of set the tone for the opportunity here? So we have a lot of nonprofit leaders listening, but people that kind of surround this space too, what kind of opportunity is available for planned gifts to the space right now? Oh, enormous. Uh, you know, even during the pandemic, there was a, I think it was a March and Lundy survey that 72% or 75% of nonprofits had seen increased interest in planned giving in the depths of the pandemic we're talking about. Now, not in the early days, but like a year in, 18 months into the pandemic, because everybody was, you know, facing their own mortality, mortality, right? Exactly. Think think back to March, April, May, 2020. I mean, we weren't sure if if we, none of us as an individual was sure we would survive this thing, you know, before we learned that it was, it's, it's worse for those who are uh, sort of lung compromised, right, or, or have other disease processes, or for the elderly. But in the early months, you know, we were all questioning whether we'd live another year. So people of all ages were were questioning their mortality early on, and uh, and that led to an increased interest in planned giving, which I which I think has continued. Now I haven't seen a survey since. You know, I'm not going to say the pandemic is over, but since that Martin Lundy survey, which was late. I think that was late 2020. I'm pretty sure that was November 2020. Uh, this this increased interest, but I, I think it you know it sort of was an awakening for lots of people. Um, and if you want to if you want a stat, you know, the average charitable bequest in the U.S. is thirty five thousand dollars, and that's on the conservative side. I've seen higher estimates than that, but that's one I'm very comfortable citing, thirty five thousand uh, dollars. So you know that's a that's a major gift for lots and lots of organizations. And you know what? And it's a major gift for most donors. So they, you know, people believe that they can't make this ultimate gift, this $35,000 or even $10,000 gift while they're living. So planned giving, uh, simple gifts in wills, perfect opportunity for, for nonprofits and for donors. I'm so glad we're having this conversation right now in 2023, because if you do not have this as a part of your fundraising strategy as a core pillar, because John, it's reminding me just of our second core value, which is play the long game. This is the ultimate playing the long game play in nonprofit. And guess what? These are your believers. We talk so much about we're not out looking for donors. We're looking for believers. These are the people that will do anything and show up for us in ways that are beyond money because they're so passionate and so entrenched in our mission. And so I want you to talk a little bit about the myths um, because I think there's a lot of fear. We've talked about the stigma around it. I think there's some fear about what are all these words. You've got so many acronyms. I remember uh. the cruts and the <laughs> chair, <laughs> the crats, the whole thing. And I mean, break down some of those myths and make people feel a little bit better about it here in the modern age. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, well, one of the myths we've already talked about, you, that you need a lawyer on your board or on your staff or as a consultant. Okay. We, we've dashed that one. Uh, another myth, 
that you have to offer all these different acronym type gifts that you that you just mentioned, Becky. And I could go one further: the NIMCRUT, the net income, <laughs> net income makeup provision charitable remainder unit trust. That's BS. You don't need that. You don't. I mean, you could, but we're, we're, let, let's. Yeah, before we get to you could. Let's keep it simple. Let, let's let's keep this. it simple. Let's yes. talk about launching with the simplest of all planned gifts and importantly, the most common of all planned gifts, the simple gift by will, charitable bequest. Okay, those are interchangeable. Gift and a will, charitable bequest, they mean the same thing. That's where you launch your planned giving program. Why? Well, as I said, they're the most popular planned gift. So even if your program 20 years from now is still only offering charitable bequest option as gift, and when I say only, I don't mean that pejoratively at all. That's you've just chosen over 20 years to stick to planned giving uh, just in gifts by will. You will have captured at least 75 to to maybe as much as 90% of the gifts that you would have gotten anyway if you had expanded into the crats and the cruts and the nim cruts and the CGAs and the and the PIFs and the DAFs and all right. <laughs> so you're capturing the vast majority of gifts anyway. Anyway. Yeah. I hate yeah. the acronym. Yeah. I, I, it I it makes it sound like you're acronyms. trying to get something up. You know, you're trying to cough something up. When it's like, Nimcra, right. you know, it can be so simple. Will you break down bequest? I mean, cause we had, what does that mean for someone? This is new. Like, what does that tangibly look like for someone to add you to their will? Well, you're asking them to take a big step. No question. Because uh, let's say you're talking to a female donor, you're asking her to include your nonprofit alongside her husband, children, grandchildren, maybe even dear friends. Sometimes our dear friends work their way into our will. We want to include them in our will. So, but husband, children, grandchildren, right? That's a that's quite an that's quite a position to ask someone to to elevate you to, put you along. There's a gift alongside all those folks. In their will. Well, but when you're talking, and I, Becky, I think you mentioned this, when you're talking to the right folks, this becomes a natural extension mm-hmm. of the giving that they're already doing. Because talking to the right folks means talking to your loyal, committed donors. This is not a new, this is not an acquisition, donor acquisition strategy. That, that's, <laughs> I can promise you that well, one thing plan giving is not, is going to bring you new donors. You're talking to your loyal, committed donors. And I like to start these conversations for folks who are about 55 to 60 and over. And when you're talking to these folks and they've been committed to you for a while, they've, they've been, these are the folks who over 10 years have given you like 12 or 15 gifts, right? Or over 20 years, they've given you 18 or 20 or 25 gifts. I'm talking long-term donors. When you're talking to those folks, it, the, the conversation is, is quite normal. It's a natural extension of the giving they've already done and been doing. Uh, I've been doing it for 25 years. I've never got slapped in the face. When the conversation <laughs> is done right, it's an honor. You're honoring the person's giving offer after all these years, over all these years. And you're respecting it and you're asking them to take another step, include you in their will. And when the conversation is done right, uh, you asked about myths, Becky. I'm going to defeat another myth. This is a death conversation. No, this is a conversation about life, the life, the sustainability, the long-term survival of your nonprofit. That's what the conversation is about. It's not a death conversation. 
Okay, we're we have the mind blow emoji going up. You're talking about you're talking to someone who loves your mission, and they want to see it survive. You're giving them a way to help that come to fruition. And I don't want to miss this. I mean, I think you, the way expl- explanation you just gave is beautiful because not once did you say, "Okay, pull out your major donors who've given the most to your organization." You talked about loyalty, you know, mm-hmm. and you talked about that kind of repeatability. It's part of their lifestyle. That's what we're pulling out of our database, which is not the typical, I think, perception of this. So I think that also disarms what these conversations look like. And Tony just gave you a great starting point, everybody. If you go go back the last five minutes, take those (laughs) notes because you literally just gave the metrics by which you could do a pull out of your database from people who have given, you know, somewhere from 15 to 20, 20 years, you know, in longevity, people who have made, you know, more than 12 to 15 gifts to your organization. Um, and you even gave us the script of what to say, which is so helpful. And and I just I know wanted, I'm gonna kill the I'm gonna kill the membership in my next uh, planned giving accelerator yeah. class. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are killing totally. me. Totally. You're all killing me here. All right. I, I just think, you know, what you're saying has such resonance with me because I'll, i I shared my fear at the beginning, but let me tell you the back end of what happened when I did get into plan giving. If you are someone who stresses and has such imposter syndrome as we all do about going out and asking for a major gift, this is the lowest anxiety call you will ever make. I absolutely love my plan giving calls because they knew us. They knew us well. They were not surprised we were coming. We, I could, I had so much to talk about in the sequence of the gifts over the years. We had so many stories to share. And so when you think about that, how we're going to do this very complicatedly, even if you do a complicated something, that's like at the 99 yard line. Everything else is about how are we just having a conversation about your dreams and the things that you want to go on and on. And to me, those were the easiest conversations. And if I'm being entirely honest and selfish, I love them because they filled my heart. Like the joy that I got from seeing someone who was thinking about the end of their life and the culmination of what they could do, that's a heady moment. What a gift that we get to stand in that space and be the conduit and the bridge to allow somebody to do that. I love plan giving. I'm here for it. All right, John, you and I are going to now interview Becky, the guest, uh, who's an expert (laughs) in plan giving. Sorry. I've got imposter syndrome. You you said it so eloquently and beautifully. Don't apologize. That was magnificent. I I just believe in it. Yeah, I think it's great. Well, the other person interviewing you has never solicited anybody for a planning <laughs> gift. You know, I'm over here in annual giving land, but I just think I would love for you to kind of walk us through the person that wants to start a plan giving program at their organization. Like, what are some of the ways you can start with goal setting? What does that even look like for something like this? And then we can kind of go into some of the steps. Yeah. You know, if your first year or two, you know, the goals are, I don't think the goals should be how many gifts, uh, gift commitments. You know, of course, we're talking about commitments. Uh, I, you know, cause it's just, it's an unknown at your nonprofit when you're, when you're launching, right? So let's start with having a goal of talking to your board about planned giving and then the essential, you know, so you probably do that in a board meeting, but then the essential follow-up on an individual basis, there's a goal that you're going to, you're going to meet with the board, talk about planned giving, uh, solicit them and mass. And then there's going to be a follow-up call to each 
individual board member. There's a goal. There's a very respectable goal for year one. Love it. Um, number of conversations you're going to open. There's there's a there's a great goal. Um, you're going to identify top prospects. You know we've talked about the, the the most loyal folks. You know you want your top prospects, and then you have your tier two prospects. Maybe tier two is a little less loyal, but they're still quite loyal. Just not as loyal as top prospects. Uh, and top prospects, you might have those might be folks that you already have a, a good relationship with. Somebody in the organization already knows them and is comfortable opening a conversation with them. So that might be how you delineate your top prospects to your tier two prospects from your tier two prospects. Um, you know, so there's there's some goals. You know, number of conversations you open, uh, number of prospects you identify. Um, you, you, you tier two, you know, you typically, you, you uh, talk to plan giving about those folks in uh, en masse versus your top prospects. You want to have individual one-on-one meetings with those folks. So en masse, you know, maybe you say, uh, you know, for tier two, maybe you get out uh, one mailing in the first year or two mailing, or, you know, it could be, this could be digital or print, however you, you decide to do it. Suppose one or two, one or two uh, direct mail pieces out, uh, email or direct mail pieces out in year one and talk to your board and you're going to follow up with each of your board members. There's, there's very respectable goals for plan, for plan giving for years one and two. Love all of these tactics. I hope everybody's taking notes because those were really great starter points. But I want to know about like, what are the must-haves? If somebody's going to start with a core group of items, what would be in their toolbox, Tony? I look for a couple things. Your organization really needs to be at least five years old. Because think about what we're doing. We're asking someone to include you in their will. They need to be confident that your organization is going to survive them. And while you're if you're fewer than five years old, I know there's a lot of zeal and passion and love for the work, but donors are not going to be so certain, you know, in those first four or five years that your organization will live beyond them. So I look for at least five years longevity and I look for more than the founder or just like one or two full-time employees. Same, same reason. You know, if it's just a founder and one other person, that's that's not uh, that's not a real strong signal of sustainability to me. So I think you want to you want to recognize that your donors are going to have some concerns, right? So that's about your 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 own sustainability. So I look for the five years and more than just a founder and one or two full time employees. That's awesome. Uh, the other thing you absolutely have to have is individual donors. You know, if you're 100 percent funded from uh, foundations or corporate support or um, other grants, maybe government grants or fees, fees, fees from services, you know, then you don't have individual donors. There is nobody to put you in their will. So you have to have these loyal, committed donors that I talked about earlier. So smart. That's really it. You know, you don't, that's, you know, so if we release this podcast on a Thursday, I would say take Friday for yourself, think about it over the weekend and start <laughs> identifying your prospects on Monday. <laughs> By Wednesday, you should make, make those first phone calls. They'll give yourself the a week, week for the first plan phone call. giving plan. This is awesome. Yeah, that please. is awesome. You're just opening a conversation. So Tony, how about those that already have a program in place, but it's just feeling a little stale? And I would say this is probably at least my experience when we are at different organizations, it's easy to kind of fall in that category. How do you bring new energy and get people excited about this as part of their development plan? 
anybody who works with me never suffers that, John, because I'm the evangelist <laughs> for planned giving. All right, with, you are. With no, no religious overtones, I'm the evangelist for planned giving. So I am always <laughs> advocating. I'm always thinking about who can we invite? How can we get more, uh, get more exposure for the idea of including us in your will? Um, okay, but I'm not, I'm not fighting, your, you know, fighting your question or anything. So, all right, if your program is, your program is kind of stale, um, I would recommend, uh, probably not surprising, you know, just go back to the basic. Gifts by will. Let's put a focus on it. Maybe you've got too many gift options. Maybe the, maybe the folks who are talking to your donors, your frontline fundraisers, aren't comfortable raising all the different gift options so they don't do it because they can't distinguish between a charitable remainder annuity trust and a charitable remainder unit trust. <laughs> and, and their eyes glaze over when you try to train them. Just put it aside. Focus on the very simple, the gifts by will, because both your frontline fundraisers and your potential donors have three things in common. They all know what a will is. They all know how a will works. And they all know that they need one. So I would suggest if your program is kind of moribund, that's a big one. I don't know where I get that word from. Where that was a great out? word. Pull that out of my tail. It right now. Moribund. <laughs> if it's moribund. <laughs> don't cut that out, Julie. I want moribund. I want moribund to survive the edits. Um, yeah. If your program is uh, moribund, lackluster, uh, I would suggest going back to the basics. Make sure you also, so that, that in, in terms of gift, gift discussions, keep it simple. Um, and then, you know, who are your prospects? Who, uh, who are you talking to? You're, you're, you know, if, if you don't have an active prospect pipeline, then that, of course, is going to lead to a stale, moribund program. You got to keep that pipeline fresh. So let's go back to basics again. Identify those folks who are the most loyal, consistent donors and, and go from there. So in terms of gifts and prospects, that's how I would try to revive a sad program. A sad program because we want it to be so, a happy, yeah, vibrant program. Yeah. That's what we're here for. Yes. And I love that we're having this conversation at the top of the year because everybody, we're, we're all literally on the same playing field. Everybody is starting back over. We're, we're dusting off those strategic plans. We're looking at our metrics. And I want to throw you this question, Tony, because I'm so curious what you're going to say. I want you to give us a couple of do this, not that, um, that you would like people to focus on. What are some of the things we need to sunset doing and what are the things we need to start doing? Um, and I'm, I'm very curious to know if there's anything that you're seeing that's trending or more modern as we're in this digital age or if just that age old rhythm is still constant and the thing that's going to get us through. Yeah. You know, I don't see a lot of advances in planned giving. That, that Some folks might say, well, that makes it dull. I say that makes it comfortable. You know, yeah. we don't, we're not, we're, when you're focused on gift by, gifts by will, you're not subject to the next, uh, the next revision in the estate tax or the next tax code change. I mean, it's just simple gifts by will, right? Um, all right, so what to throw out and what to keep in. All right, well, of course, we got to throw out all these insidious, hateful myths that you need a lawyer. That you need a whole bunch of different gifts. That this is only for your major donors. Um, oh, I got another one we could throw out. That this is going to hurt your other fundraising. No, oh, 
yes, 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 exactly. Becky loves this one. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I've seen this play out and and, and people get territorial about it. And and there's no reason. Absolutely. Yes, you're right. Your fundraisers get territorial. Board members get nervous. Oh, you're going to kill our fundraising. It's 180 degrees from that. It's complete opposite. First, in my own 25 years, I've seen it hundreds and hundreds of times, probably thousands. Folks who include you in their will increase their giving otherwise, their annual giving, their major giving. Why? Because they feel so close, so much closer to your organization. They've put you alongside, this this donor has put you alongside her husband in her will. (laughs) She feels really close to you. And it reflects itself in their giving. Okay. Well, you might say, wow, Tony Martinetti, 25 years of anecdotes. What's that worth? 25, a quarter century of anecdotes. No good. All right. Go to Texas Tech University. Professor Russell James. He, he studies planned giving. He's a professor there at Texas Tech. He's quantitatively studied this. And it's something like two-thirds to three-quarters of the people who include you in their will not just a general planned gift. He specifically, his research was specific to gifts by will. Two thirds to three quarters of the people who include you in their will will increase their other giving. So, wow. so you can dismiss my 25 years of Tony <laughs> anecdotes, write those off and go to Professor Russell James at Texas Tech. Okay, I've talked to Dr. James before like, Becky and seems like he's she knows amazing. I do. We we we're LinkedIn buddies and he is such a generous human being. Um I'm actually going to drop this in the show notes. He sent me an entire list of books you can read podcast, his research findings. If this is something that you're really curious about, he's really open sourced this so that anybody can consume it. And I think that's the beauty of what podcasting does and learning does. We want to democratize what we know because we all, all a rising tide lifts all boats. And so, and I also want to say, don't miss what Tony just said there. If someone makes a plan gift, do not make the colossal error I've seen in one of my organizations that will remain nameless, which is you take them off your solicitation strategy because they think, oh, they're already giving. We shouldn't ask them for anything else. That is old thinking. And you're actually taking away their ability to enrich this gift and to create, keep creating impact. So thank you so much for for even talking about that, Tony, and lifting that up. I have a story this week. It was yesterday. I just learned it. Someone who is, uh, he's 84. He has the organization in his will. Before I started working with him, his life to date giving was about $1,300. This week, he sent a check, a check to the organization for $12,000. Because he got a mail, he got a piece in the mail and it was asking for... I, I don't know what piece it was. It was not a planned giving piece. But to your point, Becky, we keep him, we keep our planned giving donors on a, a direct mail channel. And he got a piece and he was so moved, but he, he's already got us in his will that he made uh, another ultimate gift for himself, a, a gift of $12,000 in cash, where before he was a planned giving donor and had included us in his will, as I said, his lifetime giving was 1300 and I expect he will do other things like that. So we absolutely keep people on the direct mail channel when uh, and other channels when they have made a, a, a gift in their will. The only reason you wouldn't is if they say, 
you know, I don't want to get any other pieces from you, but right. I could probably count on one hand the number of times that's happened. Times that's happened in twenty five years. I quit telling us stories of people making a difference. <laughs> like, yeah, people just don't think like that. They love the organization. <laughs> they want to hear from you for God's sake. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And that's an engagement point. Every time, every time you drop something in the mailbox, they're thinking of you. Every time you send them an email, they're thinking of you. Yep. And yep. I, I just, I just think this is gold, Tony. Thank you. My pleasure. I wonder if we could talk about sustaining programs for a minute, because we know our industry has a high turnover rate in the fundraising field. Unfortunately, what does that look like to bridge these kind of really deep relationships? And how do you really advise, you know, kind of building sustainability into the way that you create your program? Well, you know, you want the relationship to be with the organization, not with a person, right? I mean, so the more people in the organization that you're planned giving donors, I think, and all donors, but we'll we'll focus on what I know a little about. Uh, you want your planned giving donors to meet lots of people in the organization so that if there is some turnover, there's still continuity because they know a lot of people, right? Um, sometimes I've, I've introduced donors to other donors at an event. Yep. Uh, I hadn't planned it that way, but, but some folks have something in common. Maybe it's a, a sports team or maybe they live in the same neighborhood or they have lived in the same state or something like that. So there's opportunities to introduce donors to donors as well as a number of people in the organization. Um, but, you know, just overall, John, you know, you want that connection with the, with the, with the mission. And when you've got that, and of course you're talking to long-term committed donors. So you've, you've got a, when you're talking to those folks, you've got a big step up in having mission type conversations, program type conversations. Um, you know, folks will excuse turnover. You know, they, they understand it. They, they don't love it, but, your your committed loyal donors understand that people move on, so they'll they're not going to take you out of their will or you know think poorly of you. Uh, I mean, unless your turnover is rampant, you know, if they're meeting somebody new every six months, you've got some systemic uh, problems. But short of that, you know, people understand that relationships change. I mean, I come in as a consultant to a lot of nonprofits, and so I have to start an org- I have to start relationships anew. It, it's doable. It's, it's very doable. Tony is making us a believer in how to build a culture around plan giving. How many of you out there have a culture of intentionality around making plan giving a focus other than those of you who have a plan giving department? I think this is just something that should be baked into what we do. And, and I'll tell you on the back end, it's going to feel so good to you to find these stories, to make these legacy gifts come to bear. And so I, I have all these stories that are kind of weaving through my mind right now of different donors that I've talked to in the past. And I have got to think that you have got hundreds, Tony. And so we really value story around here. And I'm wondering if there's a story or a moment of philanthropy that has profoundly changed you and stayed with you that you might share with us today. It was a small historical society. Small, meaning they had one full-time employee. And we did our very first mailing around planned giving to about 250 people. And they got back six responses that said either the organization is already in my will or I will include it, put the organization in my will. I'll add them. So six, six new gift commitments in the very first mailing from an organization that had just, it was just the executive director 
annual budget of about $250,000 to get that number of commitments early in a first mailing. It just, it's sustained me for years, years. And it's, it's proof that small organizations can have great success with planned giving. Uh, so that, that one has always stayed with me, that little historical society. Now, I do want to say what you're thinking, what this guy's contradicting himself. Earlier, he said no more than just the founder and one or two, or no fewer than just the founder, one or two employees. You know, they invite this guy, Martinetti, on the show, uh, and then all he does is contradict himself. Why why am I wasting my time listening to this? Okay. First of all, she was not the founder. And the organization was like 35 or 40 years old. It was a longstanding historical society. So with that kind of longevity, you know, I would relax the the one employee constraint because the organization. We're going to put an asterisk on that. We're going to go back and just put a big asterisk on that in other, except in certain situations. Yes. So yeah, the lawyer, the lawyer footnote, drop footnote one, Uh, you know, so there are exceptions for, for an agency that's been around that long, but you know, such an uplifting story. It's just drives home that small nonprofits, small mid-sized shops can really have success with planned giving. You're such a romantic. And direct mail is not dead. Like you got to know who you're talking to and what's going to connect with people too. So, you know, we round out all these conversations asking for your one good thing. And Tony, you've had a lot of experiences. What's a mantra or a secret to your success or just a habit that you love that you would lift with our community today as a one good thing? I would say that every day is a new opportunity. You know, yesterday doesn't define you. Yesterday doesn't define your organization. Uh, we're, we're in, it's it's January. So whatever you and your organization did in 2022, if it was successful, congratulations. If it was less than you wanted, that's okay too. 2023 is a brand new year. The past doesn't define you each day, each week, month, year. You have an opportunity to grow, to succeed, to improve. Don't, don't let the past hold you back. He really is the oracle. He's like, I know. I feel like I can do anything now. Okay, I'm going to go run a marathon. Tony, you're so great. I I just feel like it's been such a gift to just have an hour of your time and sit in your aura and soak up all this knowledge from you. I know people are going to want to connect with you. So tell us where you hang out. Talk about nonprofit radio because we definitely want them. If you're a podcast listener here, you can definitely get a lot out of Tony's show. Tell us where you hang out on socials and where people can connect. Accelerator. We want to hear about your plan giving accelerator. Oh yeah. Drop that too. The the most sensible way would probably be to download my uh, PDF called Unleash the Game Changing Power of Planned Giving at your nonprofit. You can get that. Well, I have a I have a QR code, but uh for right now, I don't know if you want to put a QR code in the notes or not, but Heck yeah, we do. Send that QR code over. We'll socialize that sucker. Okay, there you got that in the notes. And if you're strictly an audio listener, tony.ma slash guide, G-U-I-D-E. Tony.ma slash guide brings you right to the page. Get the download. Uh, Tony Martinetti, Nonprofit Radio. That's my podcast. Thank you for mentioning it several times. It's everything I think small and mid-sized shops struggle with. Uh, we are in our 12th year, 620 episodes or so, roughly. Every single week, brand new episode. We've got 13,000 listeners a week in small and mid-sized shops. Uh, 
the uh, that you just Google if you just Google you know nonprofit radio you'll you'll find it. It's wherever fine podcasts are heard. Right, so it's it's on uh, it's on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and you know a bunch of other uh, smaller platforms. Wherever wherever you listen, it's probably there. Uh, the Accelerator, Planned Giving Accelerator. It's the online community where I teach folks in what well, I tell you. This has turned out to be such a a, a glorious, beautiful peer to peer learning. Forget 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 the. The member host, you know, the, the host of the thing, Tony Martinetti, like the peer-to-peer learning, because I haven't tried everything, and and lots of lots of what comes up with in the classes is beyond planned giving. So I, you know, we we I, absolutely bring it in. You have a difficult board member, let, let's talk about it. So like the peer-to-peer learning has been incredible, uh, but uh, and then so as a footnote, uh, Tony Martinetti will teach you how to launch planned giving at your nonprofit. We'll meet once a week. For three months, the next class starts in March, early March. You'll be done by Memorial Day. And, you know, of course, I give you resources and templates and checklists. And, uh, and we, I, I conduct everything as a meeting, not a webinar. So you just blow your question right out. You know, interrupt me. I'm from New York City. You can't offend me. Uh, <laughs> you know, you don't put your questions in a chat in, in, uh, in Plan Giving Accelerator. You just... You just start talking and, and then I'll, uh, and then we'll get to it. So, uh, I keep a fun, you know, informal, but still valuable vibe inside the accelerator. And that's all at plannedgivingaccelerator.com. And we'll link all that up in the show notes. You can get to it. We're going to have a wealth of resources for you today. So I feel the eye of the tiger music. I've got my Rocky gloves on. (laughs) We are ready to take on plan giving in 2023. I hope you feel hyped and ready for it. Please go check out Tony's podcast. Check out his resources. He He is truly the leader on this in our sector. And we just value your voice and your kindness so much. So thanks for coming into our house today and just inspiring us. And I know, know, right? right? It's just like we had legend hour here and it was just what we thought it would be. Oh, when you say our house, Becky, that's very sweet. Thank you. Thank thank you for inviting me in. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's open a, let's open a bottle of wine together. Cabernet. Let's do it. Here for it. Love Cabernet. Thank Thank you. Thank you. you. Becky, thank you very much, John. Thank you. Thanks very much for hosting. Hey friends, thanks so much for being here. Did you know we create a landing page for each podcast episode with helpful links, freebies, and even shareable graphics? Be sure to check it out at the link in this episode's description. You probably hear it in our voices, but we love connecting you with the most innovative people to help you achieve more for your mission than ever before. We'd love for you to join our good community. It's free, and you can think of it as the after party to each podcast episode. You can sign up today at weareforgood.com backslash hello. One more thing, if you loved what you heard today, would you mind leaving us a podcast rating and review? It means the world to us and your support helps more people find our community. Thanks, friends. I'm our producer, Julie Comfer, and our theme song is Sunray by Remy Borsboom. Rabbit fans have always powered the We Are For Good podcast, but now Rabbit fans can get even more goodness and access by joining Good Friends. It's our listener support community for the We Are For Good podcast. Good Friends comes with perks, exclusive episodes with John and I, including The Good Brief, our new monthly cliff notes of the greatest takeaways and lessons learned from that month, and exclusive AMA episodes where we answer your burning questions and tap our community of experts. Join now or learn more at weareforgood.com backslash friends. 
can't wait to see you inside. That's weareforgood.com slash friends.